Oy. There we go. Hey, everybody, let's party. Let's party. How are you doing? It is uh, the 21st of December, 2023. It is time for episode 184 of my live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it here on this just four days before Christmas, huh? We are almost done with 2023. I say good riddance. I don't know how you feel about it, but either way, uh, on today's chat, we can get to whatever you want to. I look back at 2023, you look ahead at 2024, some Shavkat stuff. Really, you're uh, up to you, up to you. Uh, if you'd be so kind, thumbs up, it's free. If you can subscribe, that's free. If you become a member, that's not free, but then you can ask questions for free on this chat. You can also do it for the first hour, and then we'll get to paid questions or paid donations. If you feel generous about giving them, if you don't, that's cool too. I'm just glad you're here either way, okay? All right, so we'll go for an hour about on the questions, and then we'll get to the other stuff at the end. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get this party started. Shall we? Okay, there we are. Um, let's see. I don't know if we have any uh, business to attend to. Uh, there is a small chance there'll be a live chat last week or next week, excuse me. But it's probably unlikely. My wife wants me to take some time off because uh, we've got some big plans for the new year. Nothing I can share with you yet, but we've got some big plans for the new year. So she's hoping I just take some time off and I probably will have to. But even if I do, I've actually cooked up already. I have to just edit it, but I've already cooked up another dice or I should say technical difficulties. If you guys missed it earlier this week, I put up a Shafkat Rachmanov uh, technical difficulties on how he got past Wonder Boy's defenses. I hope you enjoy it. Go check that out if you haven't already. Um, but I've got some other stuff from 296 I haven't released. So, yeah, I might put that together as well. In fact, I'm almost certain that I will. So, um, there's a chance we'll have a live chat. It's probably not a great one, but either way, there will be some fresh content next next week, no matter what. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, okay. What else is there? I think that's it. So, without further ado, let's, uh, I mean, let me refresh this page so you can get the latest and greatest. And then let's blow this joint up, shall we? There we are. Okay. I'll put that one. Did I lock my door? Yes. Here we go. Uh, hey, Luke, why is Dana White so intent, this person asks, on pushing the Stipe versus Jones fight that no one wants on us? How does this help him or the UFC? Um, well, up until recently, there probably was great demand. I mean, had the fight gone through in November, it would have performed quite well in all likelihood at both the box office uh, and the turnstile, or you know, the metaphorical box office, I should say. Right, pay-per-views and LiveGate, it would have done really, really well. And it, in fact, I think it still did okay, but obviously it, 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 there was a bit of a trade-off between what they got and what they were hoping for. So I think it's probably related to that to a degree. There's been a theory floated by some that UFC wants to do right by some of its aging guys so that you know, on their way out the door, we can't say that, um, hey, they're being fed to these younger fighters in the most obscene, obvious of ways. Um, but of course, the contradiction to that would be, we just saw some of that at 296 with Tony. And of course, it's common as a general fight practice. Like it wouldn't be out of the norm in the industry for something like that to happen. But perhaps these two guys, greatest ever heavyweight, greatest ever, as the talking point goes, they might be exempt from some of these considerations. So uh, I just tend to think that they probably believe that's their best case at generating a decent pay-per-view return. Um, and they know, I think the other problem is what, the, what they're kind of concerned about is they know both guys are likely to retire. So um, 
you know, if they did Jones versus Aspinall and then Jones wins, right, and then retires immediately, you're kind of left with this scenario that John, I mean, dude, there hasn't been order established in the light heavyweight division since John Jones left. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, but since he, and of course there was rocky moments during his tenure, I get it. But I'm simply saying, like, look at the state of it. We're, we're still, it's 2023. We don't even have a, a, a champion yet. Um, or just, sorry, now we do. We have Pereira. But, like, there was there was this this lull where, you know, Ankalaev and and Blahovich jacked it all up. So, and, and by the way, like, as a decorated champion, Pereira's great. But, like, is he going to have a hold on that division for years to come? Probably not. Um, although, he you know, he can win his next fight, whatever that is. And you get what I'm saying, like, even with the sort of brief moments of stability, it's still been under this sort of tumultuous parody. And um, not that that would necessarily repeat itself at heavyweight, but I'm just pointing out it would be really bad. I mean, what they don't want, someone someone was making a point to me uh, on Twitter the other day, and they were arguing like, you know, would it really have benefited Whitaker all that much if he had fought GSP on his way out? And so let's assume a scenario where Whitaker fought GSP when GSP was on his way out of the division, uh, and then... 185 so you know instead of the michael bisping fight or after the michael bisping fight i should say and then whitaker uh ends up unifying and then wins that contest does that meaningfully alter his trajectory in his career yeah i don't see how it doesn't that would be an enormous boost to him that would be the best way to do it is when there is this natural turnover from old to young title is handed back somebody is defeated um, that's the best for that division. So you could have Aspinall versus Jones, and if Aspinall wins, then they've set themselves up in the most marvelous of ways. Um, but, you know, the risk, of course, is the other way, where if, if, in fact, you know the person is going to retire, or you have a pretty strong indication, and they win, it fucks the whole thing up. So they're probably just trying to avoid that scenario. But it's like, and I think on on some level, as a consumer, you can understand why the business might make a decision like that. What I think could end up happening in 2024, this 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 will be, like, of all the guys to watch at heavyweight, is it in 2024? Is it Stipe? Maybe. Is it John for that fight if it ends up going forward? Sure. But really, I think the two most interesting careers at heavyweight for 2024 has got to be Francis and Ganu. What the hell is going to happen with him? Any number of different ways that could go, right? And then the other one is going to be Tom Aspinall. Um, if Tom loses, then this conversation is really in this point is of no value but in the event that he still wins and goes on to win and continues to win it certainly will make the fight between Jones and Stipe harder and harder and harder to make uh and the the, the fan pressure will change and perhaps it will change their uh, their decision making calculus but this is the two considerations that make the most sense to me are they probably think they can make good money on it and they also don't want to fuck themselves in the event that John wins you know, or in the event that they didn't go to that, they went to Aspinall, and then, you know, he fucks the whole thing up. I think that's what they're kind of concerned about. Uh, okay, this one has no likes, so I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> Someone's asking, Luke, oh, what advice would you give for a person to have a good 2024? Uh, I mean, that's like, the, you're asking for like the most generic advice. Okay, uh, you know, you could go with generic advice in a few different directions for generic advice. I will go with uh, take good care of yourself physically, and the dividends downstream from that are pretty significant. They're pretty significant for the peace of mind it could bring, for the routine it could establish, 
health is wealth in both peace of mind as well as in self-confidence. Take good care. Treat yourself like one of your favorite clients. Treat yourself like somebody who deserves to be treated that way. Eat the sort of things that make your life better. In, engage in the kind of experiences physically that make your that make your body stronger, that make your mind and spirit better, more well-off and more quite literally hormonally balanced. Like all of those things, the ways in which that can pay you back um, is pretty significant. That's why people who drink all the time, like they feel like shit all the time, not just because, you know, they're obviously pounding alcohol, but the the accumulative rot and rusting of who you end up becoming to accommodate this habit, again, has a number of physio physiological and psychological impacts downstream from the just the nights of drinking themselves that corrode and mess everything up. Go the other direction. Take Make this a year where you prioritize feeling well by virtue of engaging in healthy activities. It sounds fucking lame, I suppose, but... <laughs> There's a, a lot of things you could do worse than that in 2024. Really turning this year into a priority year for your health and physical fitness. Hard to go wrong with that. Hard to go wrong. Um, I'll, This one I'm not sure how to answer, but I can answer it this way. Lucas Taporia setting himself up for a historic humble pie. The answer is yes, but I'll get to that in just a second. The way he is talking about Volk saying it will be the easiest fight of his career. One punch, taking photos with the belt. And putting undisputed champion in his bio. Yeah, that's it. I get that you have to be confident in this game, but this could backfire to levels of Cerrone versus Hernandez. Yeah, it could. It would be worse than that, too. That was just a, a main card fight on the first ESPN Plus card. That, that was the one in Brooklyn in 2019, whenever it was. That was or 2018, whatever it was. Where they were headlined by, um, what you call it? That was Henry Cejudo and TJ. Um... The, I mean, the backfiring, I think, would be at levels worse than that. If you guys haven't been paying attention, I'm sure most of you have seen this. Taporia has a picture of like, his Instagram profile pictures, him with the belt, and he has world champion or UFC champion in, in his bio. And he had he did an interview. Um, oh God, what is the gentleman's name? Um, from Mexico, I forgot. But he, uh, nice guy, he, he said to him that, you know, it'll be a one-punch kind of scenario. It'll be one of the easiest fights of my career. I mean... I'm optimistic about his chances, and even I don't think that that is the likeliest scenario. But, you know, one of the funny things about when, when, when there's a handover generationally is sometimes it is pretty authoritative. It wasn't a one-punch KO, but when the time GSP, granted it was also a rematch, but fought Hughes for the second time, it was kind of one-way traffic. Or, you know, uh, when, when this was not generationally, but this was when there was a handover, when Ronda got her comeuppance against Holly Holm. That was Holly Holm's easiest UFC fight to that point. Um, she had never had a, all of her, I mean, her Raquel Pennington fight, first one anyway, was uh, much more difficult, much more difficult. So, like, it sounds ludicrous because you're talking about someone in an exalted place who is given a lot of reverence for their skill with good reason. I don't deny that in, in any way. And also, I just want to be clear, I don't expect him to walk through um, Volk unless there is some kind of thing where you know, Volk is still compromised from the head kick or whatever. Again, however likely or relevant that ends up being a scenario. So, no, I don't really agree with that. But people often want to make, oh, so-and-so is so good. They could only lose in some kind of epic clash or plus someone's cheating. or it take. In other words, there has to be some kind of, like, epic struggle for this to happen. But look at how Jose Aldo lost to Connor. 13 seconds, one shot. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't, I don't provide that as, like, a baseline of what these things will be like. But in MMA, when there is a turnover in championship, 
a lot of times when folks do expect an epic struggle, it is often done much more cleanly than they otherwise would think. Nevertheless, taking pictures with it <laughs> and changing your bio at a time, ballsy, ballsy, definitely ballsy, definitely ballsy. Um, yeah, that's ballsy. What are you going to do? All right, here we go. Okay, this one, I, I'm taking some grief for this one, so I'm glad you asked. Who would you favor in a hypothetical Leon versus Shopcott matchup, and what are some of the things that you would look for in that fight? So I had said on Monday's MK that I think Shopcott is the next champion. Again, Bilal could win and really disrupt the apple cart, turn over the apple cart, but, uh, and be a disruptor in the space, but I, I sort of believe in the talent of Rachmanov. And there are people who rightly know. I mean, it's not like people are su suggesting I picked a fraud or something. Everyone... It, to varying degrees, everyone is pretty excited about Shavkat. Perhaps not as excited as I am, but nevertheless, no one looks at him as like, oh, this is some overrated creep. Nobody whose opinion you respect anyway. So it's not that, but that I said, I think he's the next champion. There's a lot of folks who I do think are making pretty good arguments, but while Leon's actually going to be a tougher matchup than you might imagine, he manages the distance well. Um, this is not a guy who makes characteristic over the course of a fight. He doesn't make a ton of errors that he has to fight himself out of in general. He's very careful and considerate. Um, for the most part, um, he has excellent takedown defense, you know, so between range management and good counter striking and, you know, good uh, cage wrestling defense. And I mean, there's any number of things you could point to. He's he's a really tough guy to beat. He's not champion in any way that's accidental. I don't really disagree with any of that. There's just actually one kind of consideration to me that stands out. I mean, I think Rachmanov has been to the third round like twice. And again, he's finished quite literally everybody and when you go back and you look at the wonder boy fight again he took on that fight on um you know on less than ideal conditions with a messed up ankle that required surgery he was on crutches um days after the fight uh it looked like the one consideration to me that just sort of stands out when like, i've done of now two or three breakdown videos on rachmanov's game some of the ground and pound he would use to do this this one you got some ground and pound but this was mostly submission based um, work when you see what he does and the level to which he doesn't go for they often say position before submission but one of the things you learn in grappling is that one of the best times to get uh, a position or a threat or whatever you want next is to do it in transition waiting to get it once you get there is actually much more difficult if you wait for the position to settle and okay now I'm going to start my offense it's really really difficult he takes that to the extreme uh, where the ways in which he destabilizes someone's base are uh, from very early stages of what he's attempting, like long before he's ever really close to something, uh, it's already setting up, like, I'm going to destabilize your base, and then through that, I'm going to be all of a sudden in a submission attempt. Like, he's very, very, very good at that. Now, you might say, well, Leon will stuff a takedown before he gets there. I just want to point out something first. The way in which he... It's not novel, like there's what he is what he is doing is taught to everyone, but his level of implementation of these skills is very, very high, okay? And in particular, what I'm talking about, challenging how people are building structures to stand, to resist. He builds in the direct, simplest route to a submission by virtue of how he attacks their foundations and how he establishes control. He does that much earlier in the sequences than I've seen a lot of other guys. So by the time he gets to an advantageous position, he's already got a series of other things already set up for him. But that's really not even what I would consider to be the reason why I have so much high confidence in him. 
partly he's 29, so I don't even think he's nearly as good as he's going to be. I think he's going to get actually a lot better. And more to the point, Leon, obviously the finish against Kamaru in the second fight is tremendous. No one would argue otherwise. But in general, I don't think it's fair to classify him as a dynamic and consistent finisher. That means in a lot of likelihood, like in the Diaz fight where he got bombed on basically for four and a half rounds until he ate a serious punch, he lets guys hang around. I just, I have to tell you folks, part of my confidence is that he, if they fought today, I don't know if Rachmanov would win. If they fought right this, obviously injury notwithstanding, but if they, if they were fighting on Saturday, I don't know. Maybe Rachmanov could win. I'd be a little bit more nervous about it. But with a little bit more time and this other consideration where if you're really going to give this guy 25 minutes to hang around, I just don't think you can do that with a guy like Rachmanov. You can't play a perfect 25 against him. And and again, once he gets moving downhill, he sets things up so early and he has so many different tools to go to, 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 to identify a line of attack and a sequence of attacks and then bring them to bear. And once he gets going, it's extremely hard to resist. I don't think you can play a defensive game like that for 25 minutes against a guy like that and expect to win. Um, that's really where it comes down to. I think there's a level of improvement that does have to happen between now and whenever that fight ends up taking place. A little bit of things that have to get tweaked, but also Leon is a bad matchup for Shavkat in any number of ways related to, again, distance management, counter-striking, takedown defense, physical uh, strength, and everything else. Like, There's a lot of ways in which he is a bad matchup for him that I fully recognize. But for a guy whose game is this potent around finishing, who sets up attacks and sequences so far in advance, who has a fantastic ability to bring them about, who does have a good chin, we saw it against Jeff Neal, I don't, I don't think you can let him hang around as long as Leon would and be like, oh, I'm just going to pitch a shutout against him. I don't think that's the guy to do that to. And so for that reason, I think Rachmanov actually in that particular way, like we ask who's a bad matchup for who, well, in a lot of ways, it's what I said before. In a lot of ways, Leon's a bad matchup for Shavkat. But in that one fundamental respect, I think Shavkat's a bad matchup for Leon. That's a personal opinion. Your mileage may vary. But if I was fighting, if I had a guy who, not me, if I had a guy who I was, you know, talking to and they were fighting Rachmanov and, like, the, you know, that person was not a dynamic finisher, I don't know exactly what advice you'd give for someone like that. Um, you got, you have to be, you have to resist this dude's offense. And of course they're going to, he's going to strike back and hit him and everything else. But you'd have to resist this dude's willingness to set up, find and establish attacks. And the way for a guy who is this adept at doing it for 25 minutes, good fucking luck, man. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. I don't like that bet. I wouldn't, that, that, that bet to me is not a good bet. People may disagree. That's fair. It's, you know, it's a, it's a round world. We all live in it, but, um, yeah, there you go. All right, let's go to the next one here if we can. Yeah, some Colby questions. Did you see? Did you see this? I, I I wrote this on Twitter recently. Did you guys see Chael on Ariel's show? I didn't see the whole interview. I saw a clip. Jedi Goodman posted it. I just reacted to it. Chael makes an argument that to me is very believable. That Chael practices this, right? Which is Chael was trying so. Ariel was basically asking him, did Colby go too far at the press conference bringing up his dad, Leon's dad? And Chael said yes, that he did. But that he argued there shouldn't be some kind of hard and fast rule about what you can and cannot say um, 
because then you're getting his argument was, you know, in the, in the end of the day, they're just words and words can't hurt you. And I do believe when Chael says that he believes that. And I also think he practices that. Like, so to me, when he says that, I think that's a credible claim for Chael. I want to be very clear about that. That's that, that I've, I've known Chael a long time. And I, I'm telling you, I know that's true. I know that's true. Okay. So I don't think Chael is being a hypocrite in the sense of when he says this, and he applies that to himself, all true. But, and there's probably a couple of exceptions here or there, but in general, dude, that is not the way MMA functions. It is very strange to me that people in MMA make the argument to people who are like, hey, did we cross the line? Did we, what's the right answer? And by the way, like what the right answer is for people doing what they're doing, I don't actually have a great answer for you either. All, I, because people ask, oh, should there be a policy? I'm not sure how you'd word that policy, to be honest. Even if you had one, it's not as clear as folks might imagine. But that's not even my, my, my central point. My, my point is only, dude, in MMA, and, and people would have criticisms, criticisms of me this way too, so throw me in on the pile if you want to. Fine, fine. But, dude, MMA is the most sensitive industry I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is not credible <laughs> to say in MMA, like, hey, here in MMA... We don't think words uh, can hurt you. Dude, words hurt people in MMA more than I've ever seen any other place. I've never seen a place, in fact, where words did more damage to other people than MMA. Like, the fighters will get bitter at you over things, sometimes over things you deserve, sometimes over things you, it's really hard to understand. But let's turn the tables. The media will, various individual media members will get mad and lash out at people that based on this and that. And I'm sure, listen, he is without sin, cast the first stone at times. It can be a disorienting experience to, to, to be involved in some of these melees and, and situations. But, dude, promoters, they get mad at you like this over shit you say. And then, I don't just mean get mad at you and do nothing except sulk, although some of them will do that. But then use their power to cause problems for you. For other fighters, for other managers, for media, and back and forth. Dude... The entire MMA industry's level of, like, there's this is why you can't ever have a discussion in MMA because it's only about call-outs, insults, you know, tears into someone, rips them apart. There is actually no dialogue because in a world where words actually hurt people all the time, that's the only way in which you can interpret language. It's either all the way positive or you hate it, you hate it and then you hate the per person and the people and the entity or the whatever saying it. Like, dude, that is how MMA fucking functions. It's the craziest thing in the world. You've never seen people who are more hurt by words than people in MMA. That it's like it's a, because it's 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 not a dignity culture. It's an honor culture where you know saying these things, uh, you give it like whatever relationship it actually has to the real world is irrelevant. The fact that they said it and crossed these lines and they dishonor other people, it actually this is what creates all of the controversy and then the conflict and then the battles and then this so and so rips into so and so and so and so you know, lashes out at blah, 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 whatever. MMA is, MMA is far and away the most, the most sensitive industry I've ever seen. Uh, boxing is pretty bad, but not nearly as bad, not nearly as bad. Um, and you know, in various other practices, I didn't notice the same level of, uh, uh, issue with this kind of thing in MMA. It is, it, it is part of the sports culture. So again, like what you're supposed to do about it, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's just it's just very strange for me that if the argument is going to be floated about, hey, you guys, you know, we, we, we need to 
let people say what they're going to say because in the end, words can't hurt you. It's like, guys, you don't even believe that. You don't even believe that. No one in this industry, no one in this industry behaves in a way that indicates they believe that. They behave in a way that indicates they believe the exact opposite of that. Um, you know, so what you want to do about it, I, your guess is as good as mine, but we have to be at least honest with what's happening here. Certain kinds of words don't bother people, but the idea that like everyone is divorced from the language everyone else uses about them and around them is just totally false. <laughs> it's totally false. That's not how MMA works at all. Um, take that for what it's worth. All right. Anyway, this is about Colby. Eventually, after Colby retires, does his career age well? Does he become a Bisping or Chael after all the shit he talked just about, uh, just like they did, and be loved by most of the MMA community? Or does, does, excuse me, or does he become an irrelevant figure that nobody gives a fuck about? Um... I got to tell you, I'm skeptical he becomes the irrelevant figure nobody gives a fuck about. Now, it's possible. I've never... I'll say this. Colby stock is down. It's down. At least inside MMA. I've never seen it quite like this, except maybe when he first started doing the filthy animals thing. Um, but it's definitely down. Here's the thing. If Colby goes out, and this is unlikely, but if he goes out and has a dynamic performance in his next fight, in a fight that people perhaps want to see him lose, and then he performs really well and shines um do i think that they're going to continue to hold what 296 did to them against him no i actually don't i feel like dude it's just not how credible could the argument be that early in the week there people were there was a lot of people defending colby online and i guess i know some people are saying well it's also what you say is also contingent upon how you perform, but I don't know, man. It's really kind of a basic test case. Either either you like the shit he says or you don't. There's not really a lot of in between, as far as I'm concerned. And so for the folks that did, what ultimately made them turn on him, such that they have, is because he turned in a really really bad performance where he really underperformed. But in the end, what that tells you about it is it's not really about the stuff that he said pre-fight. It's about or at least, you know, maybe it didn't help or you know, didn't hurt in the, in the same degree you might imagine. But what it really hinges on is the performance itself. Well, then you can just reverse that with a, or you can get a lot of that back at the bare minimum with a great performance. Now, you might also say, well, he's washed and that won't happen and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Make that argument then. Like, the, that's, that's the argument you can make. No problem. But um, this idea that, like, the way that people feel about him now will be a permanent fixture... It, that is definitely one possibility, which again, it will really just depend on which fights he gets and how he performs in them. Because uh, you go back to the Chael thing, Chael had a lot of memory, Chael had a lot of important wins too. Now, of course, you know, um, Colby has had some has had some decent wins along the way, but I feel like Chael, um, I mean, that's a matter of interpretation. I mean, I have to, I have to pull up Chael's resume to really get a better sense of things, because I don't really count. Um, let me pull up his Wikipedia here. Here we go. Uh, okay. So if we skip the Bellator stuff, he had the Shogun win. Yeah, that's a big win. He had, he beat Bisping. He beat Brian Stan. Dude, he beat some good fucking fighters, man. 
He beat Nate Marquardt. He beat Yushin Okami. He beat Dan Miller. And obviously, we had our own controversy over the interpretation of the Paulo Filio fight. But, you know, that's a good win. Ice Cold, Casey Uscola, Brian. Dude, these are some nice wins, man. Like, I don't think Colby's beaten guys quite like that. I mean, he beat RDA, but that was a different weight class down. I mean, Chael was a middleweight. And he went up and beat Shogun all the way back in 2013. Like, it's a pretty good win. That was the first fight on UFC on, uh, on, on FS1, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, he hasn't really had some of those, at least nothing that really stands out, uh, in my mind as, as, uh, again, the RDA win was nice. It was an interim championship, but you know, up a weight class, even though I know he had a lot of fights at 205, I'm just saying as a guy who started out that way at, at middleweight. Um, and then Bisping won the championship late. And I think that people, people fell in love with his story when he won. And then of course, rebounded also against Dan Henderson in that, in that weird fight. I think it was in Manchester at like four in the morning, their local time, but they had some heroics. I think that extend beyond Colby and Bisping was kind of hated, but Bisping wasn't like massively hated. He was never like a Josh Koscheck. I mean, after the spitting in the corner of uh, Jorge Rivera, there were some people that kind of got bitter with him, but I don't know. I don't recall it quite the same way as it's currently uh, in the, in favor of Colby. It's gotten, it's gotten to a level that I'd not, really thought was i won't say possible but th that we'd be here this quickly perhaps is a better way to put it um so let's see how let's see how i i think that there is whether you like this fact or not I th uh, or this reality or this interpretation of reality i th i think a strong performance wins him back a lot of people such that he can pull one off against somebody that people want to care about and value uh ticket prices for ufc 300 i dude I couldn't even imagine what the fuck that would be. <laughs> that would be a hefty, hefty ticket price. Hefty. Uh, okay. Here we are. All right. I'm going to sound like a broken record. Luke, how do you feel about modern MMA rules in general in one? They made a few interesting adjustments, so do you think some rules in UFC would be great to change as well? Dude, the rules in, in the uh, the unified rules, I don't really like that much. I don't really, I mean, okay, you know, they, they get the basic framework right, but in general, I don't really like them all that much. Um, every time there's an, okay. For folks who might be new to the channel, this might be new. Otherwise, you may have heard me mention this before. There have been any number of important benefits to the UFC going state by state in athletic commissions and getting sanctioned. There might be better regulatory models, including a federal regulatory model, but we don't have that one. We have the state by state one. In the course of going state by state by state, they wanted to have, by design, something of a homogenous product that they could say, hey, we're not doing this in some kind of customized way each time we come out here. These are the rules. These are the guidelines. This is the health protocol. This is our plan. And it's the same every time. And it's a high standard every time. It made it easier to explain to each time they would go to a new state. They'd go to Tennessee. They would go to Florida. They would go to Alabama. They would go to Virginia. They would go to you name it. They're going to all these places. And they have to explain in a lot of cases to the regulators what it's about, what they're doing. Again, all the things aforementioned. To the extent you have a... a uh, by design, homogenized product where it doesn't change based on this or you don't have a different shape cage this time and blah, 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 right? You're not changing it up all the time. It's, it is, this is what it is. That becomes infinitely more sellable and it becomes infinitely more 
uh, ready for regulation. That's in fact exactly what they did. But the problem now is you have set into motion across 50 states um, not just a similar rule set, but the problem is, one, there'll be some tinkering around the rule sets, but the bigger part is they because there's no federal regulation, they can't in one fell swoop decide, hey, listen, we can clearly tell that one of these rules is bad and we want to change it. Boom, and now we can implement it. They would then have to go state by state by state by state asking the government to change the rule. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of manpower. What if the rule ends up having a series of consequences or otherwise externalities that they didn't plan for? So the mechanism by which they got it sold made sense, but the but that process, what it set in motion, makes it very difficult for editing, but for what the individual athletic commission wants to do on its own, and they don't really want to rock the boat all that much in terms of changing the rules either. That's a huge problem uh, because it's so difficult now to, to modernize rules. Now, the, the state commissions and the bigger ones have done a better job of modernizing some of the way in which rules are, uh, I should say, what judging criteria are viewed and implemented. So there, there've been some, there's been some progress. And of course, you know, uh, there's been some evaluation about, about um, you know, hands on the ground versus not and what it all means. And sorting some of those rules have been better. But what one was able to do was we're working outside the scope when they first came up with their rules, they were working outside the scope of that kind of regulatory oversight, which gave them free reign to borrow from pride or imagine the rules in a different way. Here's another one that's kind of interesting. It's not so much a change in the rules, but it changes the way in which things are viewed. Remember, takedown defense doesn't count in the unified rules. It's valuable because you don't get taken down, but that's its only value. They don't award you points for it. They award you points for it in one. In one, it actually counts affirmatively um, for you. And so it's more than that, knees to the head of a downed opponent, <clears throat> excuse me, right? And other forms of tinkering with a product, four ounce Muay Thai is another one. When they operate outside of these constraints, you get much more interesting variation. You get much more interesting um, experimentation. And that's what, what, what basically the unified rules need are a hard reset. I think the vast majority of them would continue to come along. It's not like we're gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater, but how do I feel about them? You just can't convince me in any way we have an optimal rule set when the UFC and I understand what they were doing. Everyone understands like it was like they had survival on their mind and eventually of course scaling the product. But at first they had survival and getting a clean, you know, systematized way of doing things was really really not just beneficial but frankly mission critical, right? Mission critical. But now it has ossified the process and made it so difficult. Unlike the NFL, which is like, or how about this? Major League Baseball, and they have a way in which rules are implemented as well, but um, but they get they have which you know requires some level of approval and, and whatnot. But in general, they have much more latitude to institute change. Did you guys see they want to change the pitch clock from twenty seconds to eighteen seconds when there's players uh, on base? So they're just hurrying it up now. Like this ability to change the product, tinker with it in that way. These other organizations that have basically uh, monopoly exceptions and run as a wide league it just gives them so much fucking latitude the nfl is the same way hey let's change the place from where kickoffs start or what the touchback rule is or you know whatever any kind of thing 
that they want how much it matters for this penalty when there's pass interference, blah, blah, blah. They can tinker with all this stuff. They can change the rules over the over the course of the between seasons, and then they can start with a brand new set. So they can see what works. They can make adjustments. They can they can react to how the game is changing. MMA doesn't have any of those things. So I think they've done a great job in setting us up with a basic rule set to get us going. But if there is anything that we need, we need a federal commission um, to, uh, well, for many reasons, but in terms of rule modernization, we desperately need one. How about Izzy taking time off to bulk up properly and make 205? Yeah. Possibly versus Khalil? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would. I, the answer is if Izzy wants to go to 205, my only request would be you give him a tough fight such that if he wins it, he would be eligible for a title shot. I know what folks are going to say. Oh, that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. You're talking about the second best middleweight of all time. Um, at worst, second best middleweight of all time. So, yeah. No, I'd have to win one. I wouldn't give an immediate title shot, but uh, you'd have to win a good one, and then that would put you in contention. By the way, I'm not saying guaranteeing him a title shot. I'm saying put him in contention where it would, you, it would make sense after the fact, right? Good question. As of now, what do you think the UFC's best argument at trial could be? I understand there's plenty of time for things to change. And there's no perfect answer to this question, but I'm curious to know if you've thought and or heard about this kind of evidence they may present for their defense. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Every time more information comes out and more evidence from Discovery is released or more you know, information from Discovery is released, the worse it kind of gets for UFC. And you could say, oh, that's my biased perspective. Yeah, this is my live chat. I'm going to give you my perspective. I don't know. I, you know, I'm trying to do my best to interpret the facts as best I can, but, you know, use your best judgment about whether or not you agree with my analysis, but certainly don't rely on me. Um, go see for yourself. It's the same with any of these documents. Go read them for yourself. See what, see what you come up with. But I can tell you that, you know, in terms of the last week, even there's been information related to what the UFC might and what WME knew about barriers to entry and what they've done to limit competition. And, and these things are in, in contrast and contravention to what some of their lawyers are arguing in court. And it's like, I don't know how you're supposed to get around that and win a case. That's very difficult. Two things I think you should consider. One, um, they may settle. And in fact, I think settlement is still, it's just hard for me to imagine this one going to trial, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I know it's set for May. It's right around the corner, folks. Like this trial of the fucking cent. Dude, you think about this? The trial of the century is in four months, five months, whatever it ends up being in terms of the math. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. So we're right around the corner from a gigantic industry shaking event, one direction or the other, uh, frankly, with this. That's the first thing I'd say. I still think that settlement is. I just, I, I, I can't, I mean, I just don't, it's, the stakes are so huge. UFC, I, I would imagine, just wouldn't want to risk a lot of this stuff. But the second thing I'd say is um, you should look at Professor Paul Gift, um, spelled just like it sounds. He is a professor out of Pepperdine, Pepperdine I believe, University. You might know him as uh, MMA Analytics on Twitter. He has noted that um, one of the, so basically a lot of this comes down to economics and how wage modeling goes and whether or not the wage modeling should be something called wage level versus wage share. And it's basically two different ways 
of modeling how fighters are supposed to be paid based on both precedent and what is makes sense for the industry and what uh, makes sense as a practice in other um, uh, situated in a similar way other industries and there is a belief that the and this in fact Zufa's lawyers have argued this explicitly that the guy they got to do it is an economist who goes by the name of Hal Singer and he used wage share over wage level like what share are these guys making versus sort of these objective levels and again it's much more complicated than what I'm making it out to be but sort of a general idea in understanding it uh, in the most basic sense possible that that his way of modeling, in fact, is incoherent and out of touch with the practices of the rest of the uh, r any any other related field where this kind of modeling would be applicable. And they have been consistent about that. And in fact, um, some of Singer's work in a related other antitrust case was thrown out for similar concerns, or at least or or not or or um. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think they had they were able to show in a in a in a I don't know how related that case is to this one, but at least some of his work, I think, in a, in a antitrust case around Google was thrown out because the modeling was seen as um, unsupportable. So there is a case about whether or not to what extent will that play a role where like if the plaintiff, the, the fighters, if their entire case of what they're arguing from an economics modeling standpoint rests on a way to measure that doesn't make sense for the industry, doesn't hold up to a screw. This is the, what the UFC lawyers would argue. Doesn't match the industry. Doesn't hold up against other, you know, similarly situated industries and how wage modeling looks there. Then why would we keep it here? Because when you take it to its its infinite conclusions, it leads you to a bunch of, crazy places where um, what they try to argue is if you actually take Singer's work and extrapolate it out, it, it, in order to get the modeling that he talks about, you have to disassociate relationship between like things that you otherwise wouldn't like. So for example, like what role does tenure and a fighter's wage level or pay, I should say, how are they correlated? How is a fighter's winning record and their pay correlated? How is a fighter's blah, blah, blah. And what they argue is that Singer's modeling is so fucked up that it disassociates these things that we know for a fact actually are associated. Um, but that's just, I mean, we're, we're, we're literally down. I mean, I'm being dead serious about this. We're literally down to arguing what economic modeling, and these are important questions, but this is how, how kind of esoteric it all ends up becoming. We're talking about very sort of minute um, battles about how, again, wage modeling would work and it's done by the high level math of competing economic outlooks. You know, it's like, I don't know what to say about something like that. It's like so beyond the scope of what even other academics would really understand about the situation. It's a very, very academic point. And what Paul Gift, the professor has argued is that judge Bulware, the judge in charge of the case, um, you know, he might, he's not a bad judge by any stretch, but he's not very familiar with some of these broader considerations in that, what could end up happening is the UFC would lose at trial, appeal, and then when you go to an appeal court, you typically have people who are much more experienced in dealing with perhaps some of these broader considerations about economic and wage modeling across industries and in antitrust practice. In other words, they are much more familiar with kind of how this stuff goes, and they would strike all, Stinger's work all down. Um, I don't have really a dog in the fight because this is so far beyond my pay grade. I don't really know how to judge this stuff uh, uh, and, and, and what will all matter. But I do know that 
settlement and and trying to be, like if, if the if what is at the heart of the plaintiff's case is Hal Singer's economic modeling, and again, I don't know if it's good or bad, but if the if the defendants are right that his modeling was inappropriate for this case, it leads to absurd conclusions and should be thrown out. That would really fuck up uh, the case that, um, or you know, should be disregarded at a bare minimum, not thrown out, but disregarded. That would really hurt the the plaintiff's case. That would that I mean everything on your the entire economic picture underpinning it in their view is that this is all trash. There's nothing to this. Um, you know, again, I, I I don't have a background in econometrics or whatever to to fully understand or or make a a, a, a judgment on the competing visions. Okay. I try to watch some old fights at the moment. What are you? What are for you the most must-watch fights that happen outside of the UFC? Dude, Pride is the answer. And what are the most underestimated and underappreciated fights in MMA overall? Um, some of the early Pat Coran wars in Bellator with Daniel Strauss, Daniel Strauss and Pitbull. Those are some of the fun ones, dude. The first Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler fight. All right, because they only fought one time, but so right? No, yeah, no, no. Both fights. Both of those fights. Excuse me. What am I saying? They fought twice. Both of those fights are sick. Um, that's a great one as well. Michael Chandler's fights, and you know he 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 wins handily, but it was a big deal when he beat beat uh, Rick Hahn on Spike TV. Rick Hahn was a judo Olympian. That was a fun one. But dude, you can go back to Pride, and this is just an endless array. If you've never seen, I mean, here's very simple, right? If you've never seen Kazushi Sakuraba's career, go watch that. One of the most special talents. The way it was explained to me at the time when Sakuraba was at his peak was that imagine if Hulk Hogan at his peak in pro wrestling could also fight at a high level in the UFC. Imagine like imagine how big that would have been. That's how big it was for Kazushi Sakuraba. He was a giant star in pro wrestling who had just so turned out could also fight his ass off and then beating all the Gracies the way he did um, just blew him up to a level of legend that's hard to explain. Now, you know, it was so sad for him in the end when he was held together with duct taped and, you know, probably painkillers, but his entire career is fucking amazing. If you've never seen Rampage Jackson in Pride, you've just never seen Rampage Jackson. He had some good performances in the UFC, sure, absolutely. But dude, Pride Rampage is a completely different level. Kevin Randleman in Pride. If you've never seen Kevin Randleman, I don't know what you're doing. Wait on him. Dude, I, I used to love watching the career of Hidehiki Yoshida, 1992 gold medalist at the Barcelona Olympics in judo. He was an old guy by the time he got into Pride, but he would wear the gi, and it was a, it was funky how it would change the fights. I love shit like that. This is what I mean about being unrestricted by some of these regulatory oversights. The regulatory oversight that the UFC was was trying to curry favor with, they're really, really important to make the product work. Um, but, dude, it makes, it makes rule innovation so difficult. Super, super, super difficult. So I just gave you a bunch. Dude, if you've never seen Crow Cop versus Pro... Uh, excuse me, Crow... Crow Cop versus Fedor in Pride. This was like 90,000 people at that event, some kind of absurd record. Um, and we didn't know who was going to win that one, and Crow Cop was on a tear before that. And incredible. If you've never seen uh, Randy Couture's comeback against Tim Sylvia, watch, that's, that's maybe one of the best calls Bruce Buffer's ever had. He had that crowd, and it was Ohio, I believe. He had that crowd eating out of the palm of his hand. It was one of the most incredible fucking things I'd ever heard. Um, dude, if you're unfamiliar with the career of Hanato Sobral, you should go check him out. If you're unfamiliar with the career of uh, Marillo Bustamante, Marillo Bustamante, UFC former UFC middleweight champion, Marillo Bustamante was the fucking man. So go. These are the, I mean, this, the MMA history is you know, 
relative to boxing, it's not rich at all, but it's definitely got a lot of really cool moments that people no longer pay attention to, sadly. Let me see here something. Dude, y'all know her yesterday? Or today, rather? I didn't know this. Did y'all know Cam? I, pff, y'all being 44-year-old white dad. Like, what the fuck do I know about anything? Um, <laughs> Cameron, Joel Santana, and T.I., I guess, were on a DJ Clue mixtape circa 2003. And they did a song called Crown Me. And it's to uh, the Anvil of Crom, the, 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 the soundtrack, basically the, the, the theme song to Conan the Barbarian. Let me tell you something, folks. That song bangs. Oh, my God, that song bangs. That song is like William Hung. She bangs. She bangs. Um, by the way, one of my favorite songs is, uh, here, I'll show it to you. If you've never heard it, you're going to love it. I'm telling you. Hold on. Dun, dun, dun. Hold on. Check this out. Here. If you've never heard this song, DJ Clue, Fantastic Four, it's... uh. It's Cameron, Noriega, Big Pun, and Cannabis, back when Cannabis was actually still really good. That is one of my favorite songs from the 90s, Fantastic Four. Everybody kills it on that. Big Pun kills it big time. And Cannabis actually has, believe it or not, Cannabis has the best verse on the whole thing. It's fucking great. Anyway, I heard the, the song over the anvil of Crom today, and I almost cried. It was so beautiful. Oh, I couldn't believe how fucking awesome that song is. I was like, yes, fucking sir, Dipset. I'm not even from Harlem, but I was I was super pumped to hear that song. Um, all right, here we go. Luke, it was reported uh, that after the Emmett Mitchell KO that Bryce was backstage and finally realized the Earth was round. <laughs> all right, no, seriously, though, I was rewatching that sequence, and it seems that the reason that bomb from Josh Emmett landed so flush is that Bryce just could not see the curved trajectory of that shot. Yeah, he was moving into it, too. Uh, moving into it, didn't see it coming. And, dude, Josh Emmett has, like, I, I, I retweeted it yesterday. There was some kind of uh, compilation. He one-punch KO'd Ricardo Lamas. He one-punch KO'd Michael Johnson. He one-punch KO'd Bryce Mitchell. And he one-punch KO'd somebody else. Dude, my man's got, like, four one-punch KOs. <laughs> like, he will beat the bags off of you. Josh Emmett has, has you know, my man's doing fission and fusion in here. You know what I mean? Just absolutely mind-numbing power the guy has. Um, frankly, like, I mean, tr- in, the, in the literal sense of it, deadly power. Deadly. I mean, you saw Bryce was like, thank, thanks to you for not, like, following up. Dude, like, people were like, oh, that's, that's a weird thing to thank somebody for. It is a weird thing, but for the circumstances... Given the circumstances, I'd be grateful as shit too, dude. You could have done. Re- he was dude, that. I. You guys saw we we did the live chat. the 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 level of twitching he did when they were trying to sort of gather him was frightening. It was frightening, man. I was, I was, I was. I honestly, my heart went poof, like it sank in real time the instant I saw that. Like, you, note to the wise, man. Don't take short notice fights with Josh Emmett if you don't have to, especially if he's got a striking advantage. It could go real bad. It could go real bad. All right. 
Uh, look, I was watching back some of Taporia's fights last night, and although his style is a treat to watch, I couldn't help but notice how boxing-heavy it is. When the Volk fight got announced, my first thoughts were that it may be Volk's time to finally pass the baton at 145, but I feel that Ilya's boxing-heavy stance will play into Volk's leg-kicking game all night long if he doesn't adjust accordingly to Volk's style. Would, would love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so in general, I would say that's probably very true. It's really going to be incumbent upon Taporia to probably do a, a few things. I'd say, one, he is going to have to work on checking to some extent. I don't think you can plan a game plan with some other things I'm about to mention. Like You, you do have to do that, but you also really have to do that. And it's not something he has done a lot of uh, as a general rule. So, yes, I do think that's a valid, totally fair concern. But um, to the extent that he can incorporate any kind of additional checking that would help a little bit i think the other part is too and this does feed into his game again it could feed positively it could feed negatively but there are ways in which you, depending on how he handles it um i just think you're going to have to put a ton of pressure on volkanovsky right so it is very easy to leg kick somebody okay very easy it is better to leg kick somebody when they are stationary or moving backward versus when they are moving forward that's there are going to be tons of times where that's not true but if you're wondering, like, how you might be asking, like, how come so many guys get knocked out leg kicking in MMA? It's because a lot of times, pay attention, guys are moving into them when they do it. Again, as a rule, it's not 100%. There are a lot of ways around that. But a lot of times, when you see someone get clipped with a big shot leg kicking, watch and see what their opponent is doing. Are they moving into them? Are they backing up? Or are they stationary? And a lot of times, that'll be what happens there. Um, again, with a, plenty of exceptions in a different directions, but that's a big one. But I just generally think you can put pressure on Volkanovsky, really, really force him. I mean, that's kind of to a degree what uh, Islam did, right? Islam cut the corner on one side and then made him plant his weight by cutting off his angles and then switched up where the kick was going from head to the from body to the head. So he forced Volkanovsky to plant and then react, and that was actually how he got him. You're going to have to do something similar, but it has to happen up against the cage. It has to happen with big time pressure. Again, against Volkanovsky, much easier said than done. So if he's too careful, if he's giving him too much distance, if he's backing up, yeah, Volkanovsky's going to just absolutely eat him alive. There's really, there's really no way around that. And I think the other part too is going to have to be disciplining with what strikes you do land. They're going to have to, they're going to have to be impactful. You're going to, have to put a premium, which, 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 by the way, Taporia can do, um, but. Those, those are some of the things I'd be looking at. I'd be looking at, and in particular, the pressure. The pressure has to be so significant that he has to keep moving to deal with that. And then you have to have a plan behind that about what kind of strikes and game plan you're going to put together and what kind of cornering you're going to do. It's very difficult to pull off, but I think it is possible. However, have you identified a key fault line in what will determine success either way? Yes, absolutely you have, 100%. Connor and Habib had fought in the one championship ring. Would it have gone any different? Um, I, I I tend to think Habib wins no matter what. It's a personal opinion. I think Habib wins no matter what. Um. All right, this person's a member, so I'll answer it. I try to avoid this shit nowadays but all right look your opinion on all these free speech absolutists i don't mind fighters saying mean things to one another but whenever someone criticizes a fighter they act as if it's uh, 1984 <laughs> is involved that's true and there is a call for censorship i don't think most people have an issue with fighters not being pc definitely 
But I do think there's a line, and I've noticed there's a certain F-slur that fighters use pretty liberally in public nowadays. Yeah, this is actually a pretty interesting debate um, about what you can and should do here. I, I, I would just say the following. I, I understand people being like, what about the rules? Like, how do you craft a rule about, like, certain words can't be said and whatnot? Again, by the way, plenty of companies already do this in the real world. This is not something that's altogether unheard of. But in the fight world, you know, there is something that Dana White does say. I don't think it absolves him in this case. But there is something that he says that I think should be taken seriously, which is, he's like, it's the fight world. Guys are going to say mean things to each other. At a basic level, he's right. At a basic level, he's right. Um, like you just can't go in there and expect guys to say that kind of a thing or, or I should say to be like very, you know, it's not the United States Senate where people are apparently banging each other in, in chambers, but you get the idea what I'm talking about. Like, you know, the, the idea between the house and the Senate is that the house is the place for sort of lively, angry debate. And the Senate is the one that's the, uh, the august body of, you know, manners and gentlemanly debate and uh would the good kind sir from georgia please consider like all these kinds of things it's not that it's the opposite of that and i think you have to accept that on a basic level right so when people call each other bitches when people you know say that they're going to you know harm them in the worst ways imaginable and whatever else like any number of things that they have said uh i think you know the vast majority of it you just have to kind of live with the question is, like, what do you do about some of the forms of speech that rub some people the wrong way or otherwise are seen as um, more than just impolite, but potentially, you know, more than that? Um, there's no way to have this conversation without people taking it in a uh, culture war kind of way. Um, so I understand that any answer I give, someone in bad faith is going to take it and twist it into something that is probably not even what I'm advocating. So I'm going to try and explain this in the most basic way that I can. You just have to decide at a basic level what kind of sport you want. It's really as simple as it gets. Because we don't know what the long-term consequences will be of this completely unrestrained model that the UFC now employs where they don't really discourage. I know Dana White says we don't like it when guys fight, but that just doesn't seem very, in the, in the crowd, I mean. But that doesn't seem very credible. I think most of you would agree with that. They don't seem all that bothered when they're showing it. And it's a big part of what's going to be sold as the 290, whatever, 297 uh, main event pay-per-view. I, I don't really buy that. I don't think most people buy that. And again, like there could be an argument that this kind of stuff on some level is good for the brand without having other uh, consequences. But what I mean when I say you have to decide what kind of sport you want, you have to decide who you want to invite in. You know, who gets to be a part of this? And I'm going to guess that there are a number of people who are very much okay with not necessarily casting as wide of a net as they could. And again, right, the, the un-PC nature of the sport automatically is going to sort some people out. And I think that is totally normal and to be expected and fighting's not for everybody, even if you didn't have like a gross-ass culture around it. Fine, that's the reality. But when I say you have to, you have to figure out what kind of sport you want, you have to decide... Do you want a sport that is attractive for uh, younger people, teens? Do you want a sport that is attractive for families? Do you want a sport that is attractive for a vaster array of sponsors who have much more money, blah, 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 like it goes any number of different ways? Do you want the sport to have access to these communities? Do you want it to grow in that way? If you do, then expecting a modicum 
of basic norms being upheld is what you you should expect. On the other hand, if you want this unrestrained sport where it delves into the deepest gutters of human entertainment, um, you're going to attract a certain kind of audience. You're going to exclude a big portion of or whatever. You're going to exclude a different portion of the audience. You're going to welcome in a series of folks and exclude another ones and not just fans, but all the different pieces around it uh, over the course of time. You have to just uh, kind of decide what kind of sport you want. And I know people want to make it about a moral argument. And, I, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to those claims like, hey, it's, you know, it's unethical to in engage in certain forms of this behavior. You may not agree with that. I tend to. Uh, but I'm just trying to be as convincing to you as possible. I think it is absolutely fucking stupid as shit to not put any basic guardrails on human on, or on human on professional behavior from independent contractors you've hired for a product you're selling to the public. Um, you, it, it simply is not true that you have to engage in the, this most debased form of whatever you've been seeing recently in order to maximize your product. It's simply not true. And in fact, I believe it's counterproductive. The amount of folks that reach out to me, I've told you guys this before on a weekly basis, dude, I had a person who works in television on sports reach out to me and say that they have been recently disgusted from UFC and they were like, is this new? Blah, 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 blah. You have to ask yourself if that's the kind of thing that you want to do. I don't want to do that. I don't really, I don't think that that's all that interesting. I don't think you get a better sport that way. I don't think you get better professionals that way. I don't think you get better fights that way. I don't think you get a better community. I don't think you get better sponsors. I don't think you get better anything out of that, quite frankly. Um, there's just no argument that it meaningfully enhances it in a way that actually makes the sport better. It doesn't invite in the kind of people who could be fight fans uh, because we want to engage in behavior that is like, I mean, I, I don't even want to insult the juggalos. Dude, it's just caveman shit. It's just caveman shit. Oh, you know, everyone everyone wants to censor. I got to tell you, there's a few of you that need to look up the word curation, right? There's a difference that can overlap. It's not entirely different, but there's a difference between curation um, and censorship. They are not the same things. And the question is, what kind of company the UFC wants to be and what they want to showcase as their product. Were, were it me, I would not want to showcase that as like a centerpiece of my product. Dude, that was their press conference to announce their big plans for both UFC 300 and 2024. Um, you're just, you'll just get a, I think you'll get not only a different sport by not trying to do something uh, about expecting greater professional, oh, Jesus Christ, my wife won't stop fucking texting me, hang on. Um, I think you'll get, I think you're, you get a, I think we're poorer for what they are allowing. It simply is not necessary. It simply is not beneficial. It's simply ugly. It is intense. It is horribly divisive. Um, you know, this is like, <laughs> when we talk about things like the, the value of speech, you have to be asked like what you'd be willing to give up for it. You know what I mean? And I, I, I sort of like a thought experiment, like um, people who are protesting on behalf of the rights of aggrieved populations, right? Let's, let's pick Palestinians currently being slaughtered in Gaza. People are willing to go to jail in other countries and speaking out in terms of their forms of protest. Like they're willing to actually risk that kind of thing. Dude, are we actually going to say we were on the cross because we can't stop shitting on gay people at these things? 
I mean, it just seems, it just sounds like the fucking dumbest argument to try and uphold speech standards. Like, should these guys be fined and thrown out of the organization? No, I don't think that they should. I don't know that, you know, it seems inherently uh, heavy handed uh, or at a bare minimum, there are more productive ways in which we could all work together, I think is the way I would, I would put it. But um, I've seen the sport not do this and thrive like a motherfucker. I've seen it. And of course, here I am cursing, like there are levels to this, but um, it, it just seems so backwards to invite in performative cruelty and, um, you know, I'll just, I've said enough. I've said enough. I, I don't, last thing, last thing. I've said this before. There's a subset of folks in MMA and combat sports in general, quite, quite honestly, who view like, oh, when people say these words, it doesn't bother me, which again, in MMA is just such not a credible claim. Like it's the most sensitive industry on earth, but even if it weren't true and it's not, um, this idea that like, oh, it doesn't bother me and blah, blah, blah. Like it may not day to day, like that, that, that could be true. But like one, what I would say is if you have any kind of appetite for performative cruelty, there's probably something inherently, you have some unresolved issues that probably need, need to be attended to. Uh, and then more to the point, saying that you're indifferent to it ultimately will corrode your, uh, not only what your standards of what you consider to be res respectability in, in any kind of helpful way, um, it will make you more than indifferent. It will it will actually it will actually warp your ethics. It'll warp your worldview. It'll warp and corrode the nuances of how you see situations, of how you understand relationships between people, how you understand power dynamics. It will actually it will over time it will corrode it. Like people keep viewing these things as like, that's a strength. How is it a strength to be warped by insouciance? How, it, it, you are inherently letting yourself be convinced by your unwillingness to grapple with its complications. That's all it is. You are letting yourself, you are, you have kicked the, the moral and intellectual can down the road in an effort to be like, this does as, as an effort to be like, I don't need to deal with this. And so over time, it begins to just like, like waves on the shore just begins to crash into you and slowly begin to erode at your decision making and your calculus and your worldview. This is not strength. This is an inability to grapple with, frankly, moral demands and, and the way in which we have to grapple with how we are to treat one another. Um, I know some folks think these questions are ludicrous and they think that these considerations are don't matter and that all of this is just a roundabout way of saying they want censorship. I don't know what to tell these people. Um, they are not easy to convince in part because they're not really, I think, um, they're not really grappling with the actual reality of what's happened and what's happening. But that's the best I can offer for you at, at the present moment. All right, with that in mind, with that in mind, um, let's see what you got. If you got any donations. If you don't, that's cool. If you do, we'll get to those now. All right, so let's see here. I don't think Super Dave Fairtex is a new member, but if it says that, I appreciate it. Air Bud, rumor is uh, Pereira has been offered to fight Aspinall to defend the interim title 300. How do you like his chances? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, I think that's a bad fight for him. 
I he could win it, right? He's tough as shit. He's got a big frame, but no, no. I think Aspinall wins that one, takes him down, and pounds him out. Uh, spurred your love for Real Madrid. Soccer in general was, was a growing interest of mine, and then you know there's a trip to Spain that kind of set it all in motion. Spain is Spain's one of the greatest countries in the world, man. It's a special place. Dude, I'm still getting te- these people just won't stop. What's a fair and accurate analysis of Wilder's boxing skills and how great is he? I'm sure it's more than just his KO power, but not sure how I'd label him. I mean, listen, people are like, oh, he's got no skills. He just wings punches. He obviously has some skills. He has what I would basically consider to be, um, he's got some ability to corner. He's got some ability. He's got a great one-two. He has long reach. He has ability to set things up with his jab as guys motion into him. That's exactly how we beat Luis, Luis Ortiz. And what was their second fight or whatever it was when he knocked him out inside of six or seven rounds, right? He was able to move him in that direction, set it up off the jab, and then polished him off with the right hand. But what you really have to remember is that, like, while he does have some tools, he does have a few skills, um, they are fairly basic relative to many of his peers. This is the reality. Even someone who has some of the technical limitations of a guy like Wilder, he's going to make contact with you if he throws enough punches, and he typically does. And, dude, his power, your margin of error is nothing. Your margin of error is nothing. He doesn't have to throw mechanically correct. Dude, the punch against Dominique Brazil wasn't all that great. Against Berman Stavern, it wasn't all that great. Against Luis Ortiz, his arm wasn't even fully extended. It was like this. He didn't even get full extension on it. And he still sent him to the land of wind and ghost. Dude, he has the kind of power where, I mean, it sort of says it. People are like, oh, how skilled is he? It must be more than skill. Yes, of course it is. He has some things he's able to work with. But the real reality is... You got just enough skills to to make it work, to you know to not get you're not completely out of your element. You can box rounds. You can you know work work behind the jab. You can defend yourself a little bit. If you've got his kind of power, you don't need to do much else because it's not hard to make contact with another heavyweight right over the course of five, six, seven, eight, nine rounds. And when you have his kind of power, where you don't need anything even approximating a direct hit, and they crumble, dude, <laughs> like. It's just crazy what he can do. It's 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 he just has a level of power that's so beyond what I think we're. I mean, Francis is obviously the closest thing in MMA, but like even that, I don't know if it's again. There's a big question about who's the most dominant puncher, but in boxing, in heavyweight, it's it's just a level of power that is. I've said it before. Maybe unforgiving isn't the right word. It's incredibly unforgiving. It's whatever the again whatever the description is. It's fight altering in the most. Okay, here's the best way I would put it. It is fight-altering or ending even under very suboptimal conditions. You don't even need optimal conditions for him to KO you flat. You just need kind of okay ones. Done. That's a hard guy to beat, man. Yo, Luke, I want to say I'm loving the, the look and the new two-shot on your Shopkot vid. Thank you. Eggnog, yay or nay? I'm a yay on eggnog. Favorite Xmas cookie, Christmas cookie. Um, don't have a. I'm not a big like. I don't have a dog in that fight. Happy holidays to you and the fam. Yeah, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, okay. Hi, Luke. Love hearing you bash the movies in MC Phase Four, Eternals, and Thor. Some absolute shit fest. But you've never specifically mentioned Shang Chi. Have you seen it? And if so, did you enjoy it? I've seen the first hour of it and never went back. Not because I have anything against it, just because I was watching it and like. 
when my daughter was like, I don't know, like what a one or whatever the math is, she was like one or two, whatever it was. And something got in the way and I just never went back. I, I don't, the first hour was okay. It was fine. I'm told that after that, everything gets a lot better. Um, I, I didn't hate it. I just didn't finish it. And then what I saw wasn't super awesome. What was the other movie? Oh, dude, that Trolls movie. The Trolls uh, making a band or putting the band or a band back together. It was something with a band. It's like getting waterboarded by colors and sounds. I mean, it was absolutely horrific experience. And I had had a couple gummies when I went in. Do, don't do that. Yeah, there were other adults there monitoring everyone. Relax. Don't do that. That, I, that movie fucking sucked. Sucked. Oh, I'll tell you what I did see. That was great. Killers of the Flower Moon. The Scorsese flick. Now, it's three and a half hours. And I'm like, guy, does every new movie need to be Lawrence of Arabia? What are we doing here? Like, I, I saw Lawrence of Arabia in the theaters, and they had an intermission. And at the time when I was a kid, I was like, this sucks. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. What the fuck are we doing with these long-ass run times? But, okay, it's a great movie. It's a really great movie, and I really liked it. So, there you go. Uh, Merry Christmas, Luke. I used to train BJJ four to five times a week, but injuries, two torn pecs and a torn everything. Jesus Christ. Forced me to stop. This life change has led to some major depression. Any advice? Yeah. You need to fix your life. Um, I've said this before. Uh, you guys know who knees over toes guy is. They have this whole bulletproof way of training where you're not just strengthening the ligaments and the tendons in your body, but also the muscles and everything supporting so that you have full strength through the entire range of motion and that a lot of people who perceived to have injuries before, um, they've been able to to train in such a way and bulletproof in such a way where they just don't feel the same kind of problems. So I'm working on that. I'm working on that kind of approach. <coughs> I will tell you, there were four issues identified when I went in. My right ankle, I I tore every ligament in it when I was in the Marine Corps uh, and then and in high school. So uh, it has all kinds of issues. That was one. My left knee is an issue. My left hip is an issue. And then my right shoulder slash bicep. If I turn my right bicep once an hour, it'll click. It'll click right here at the joint. And my left does it too, but my left, it doesn't feel bad when I do it. It actually hurts here. And so uh, there might be a rotator cuff issue as well. So these are all the things I'm trying to avoid surgery on and working through this bulletproofing system to get me to a different place. What I can tell you is I don't have any issues with my ankle anymore. I don't feel anything. I've done, you know, I just cannot tell you how much work I have done on it. But in terms of like all this bulletproofing, my ankle feels great. Um, my left knee feels better, but it still clicks, but it definitely feels better. My right shoulder hasn't gotten much better yet. Um, I'm still kind of waiting to see how that's going to go. But I that was also the one where I had to start with from scratch the most. Um, so what I would say is, I can't fully recommend what I have done because I'm still very much in the middle, early stages of the process. But I've had some encouraging results and perhaps you might benefit from a bulletproofing system as well. Congrats on losing OK Bet to a guy <laughs> whose, whose analysis is made up of vibes. Hope you redeem yourself in 2024 or maybe you'll twice as hard. What went wrong? I just didn't take it seriously. I didn't take him seriously. I didn't take the activity seriously. Like what happens is we have these documents up all week. And every time I would go, he would have them filled. Not every time, but towards the last like six months or maybe more than that, actually. I would show up on Friday and he'd have them all filled in. And so I'd have to A, fill in ones he didn't use. And I just would do no work. I would just, 
I was kind of vibesing it myself to a degree. I mean, I have a little bit more work than him, but not much. And uh, I paid for it. I paid for it, as you can obviously tell. So yeah, that's what happened. I didn't take it seriously. Yeah, word to the wise. Never underestimate your opponent. There you go. Can we stop with the Colby as a character talk and just admit he's a POS? Um, I, I think he is his character. His character is like the id version of himself. It's the most Colby version. I don't think he actually is that way all the time, but that's how he internally sees himself. It's his own, like, it's his own homelander. Uh, my 2023 was rough, but UMBC made it better. Yeah, dude, my 2023 sucked. Oops, excuse me. My 2023, it started out great, and then it got so shitty. Last, dude, the last eight months have been terrible. Terrible, 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 terrible. But, um, might be changing. We'll see. We'll see. With WB and Paramount, more of these big media companies wanting to merge, fills me with profound despair for this industry. Less job opportunities. Yeah, the, the dude, there were buyouts and layoffs at Washington Post, New York Times, uh, Vox, um, uh, any, I mean, I could go down the list of all the places where that was the case. Any number of spots that's happening. Like the entire industry is in disarray. I did hear an analyst, was it Matthew Ball? I forget his name. Um, who, who was talking about like, are there going to be streaming mergers in 2024? And the answer that he gave was that there are the giants of the industry, like your net, 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 like Netflix, maybe Apple as well, because it's obviously a tech company first. They're not going to be necessarily in any kind of rush to merge, although one never knows, but he wouldn't put them at the top of the list. But what he did say was, it was funny. He goes, your Paramounts, your Hulus, your Warner Discoveries. He's like, they probably are going to be looking for some kind of potential bundle. And then sure, and this was like three weeks ago. And then sure enough, sure enough. God, who was that? I could tell you who that was. I will tell you who that was. I, I don't, I don't want to not give you the name. Um, I haven't fixed all of my podcast issues because I use Stitcher and then they closed the app and I haven't really gone back. Uh, hold on. I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly who it was. It was. It was. I think it was CNBC's Alex Sherman. Let me double check that. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's CNBC's Alex Sherman. Oh, wait, hold on. Ah, no, wrong guy. Here it is, wrong guy. It's Bloomberg's Lucas Shaw. Bloomberg's Lucas Shaw, I heard him discussing this. I guess he studies and reports on streaming from a sort of a Wall Street perspective. He had pegged Paramount, like Warner and Hulu. It was a couple other ones he had pegged. He's like, you might see some combinations of these. So it's a brutal time in the industry, man. An absolutely brutal time. Uh, almost forgot the haircut donation. Yeah, thanks. I have to go in a week. In a week, I'm going. Look at this shit, dude. What the fuck is wrong with my hair? All right. The Shadow and Tiger double X. All right. I love the idea of Wilder fighting MMA or mixed rules, but isn't he an MMA light heavyweight? He could make light heavyweight, yes. Or am I wrong thinking most MMA light heavyweights walk into the cage heavier than what Wilder fights at. Yes, uh, he could make it. He could make it if he wanted to cut weight, but I think the bigger fights are obviously at heavyweight for him. Uh, thank you. I think it's spelled Alexi. 
Alexi is how it's pronounced anyway. Thank you for the gifting. Uh, OG Icy says, Shavka gets... <coughs> excuse me. Shavka gets 170 title. Hamza gets 185 title. Both still undefeated on dominant reigns in two to three years and decide to fight each other. Could that be a top five pay-per-view all time or at least break one million buys? That is so hard to say. Uh, I, I, Jesus Christ. That's really, really difficult to say. I think we're very far away from being able to monitor even what pay-per-view is going to look like in five years. So when people ask me, like, how big would this be in five years? How big will pay-per-view be in five years? I mean, its death has been a little bit slower than some imagined, but it is not certainly not what it once was. And you're, you're sort of positing a level of success. I mean, I think the here's what I would say. I said it on MKL, repeat it here. There used to be this time when when Pacquiao was at the peak of his powers or something close to it, where MMA sites started covering his fights. And you would see in the comments, the fans would all be like, why are you covering boxing? It's much more common now. But back at the time, it was considered like, what are you doing? Why are you like, you would never cover boxing, but all of a sudden you've got a live thread for results and blah, blah, blah. And the reason why is the traffic was overwhelming. But the funny part about it was when you looked at where a lot of the traffic came from, it all directly came from the Philippines itself. It wasn't that he was like, um, like in the same way that he was popular here in America. I know that sounds kind of obvious, but there was no other person that had a pull on their country in that same way. For example, you might have had a big Argentinian fighter at the time, Sergio Martinez. He wasn't as big as Pacquiao, but we didn't get anything from any part of his audience, the diaspora. It didn't work that way. But obviously there's a lot of English speaking in the Philippines, even though the native language is Tagalog. There was, I mean, a avalanche of traffic to take they couldn't get enough and so we were just all too happy to just keep covering Pacquiao fights because dude the traffic just blew the doors off of anything else we'd ever seen before there was no MMA fighter who could touch what Pacquiao did at certain points I don't think Shavkat Rachmanov is there yet with with Kazakhstan in fact he's pretty far from that that that, that was a special thing that Manny had but look at how they crashed people's um, comment section with all the Kazakh flags. Look at the response he got when he got home. Even some of my videos I've done, I've looked in the comments or like a big Shavkat videos, and it's tons of uh, people speaking a native Kazakh in the in the comments, and it's just thousands and thousands of people paying attention, and the numbers are higher than they ordinarily would be. He already told me that MMA is more popular there than boxing, and he is the leading MMA figure in that country. He's got the potential, potential, for a pull on that market in a way that reminds me of what Pacquiao had in the Philippines, where you there was just this enormous amount of intrigue about him. I don't know if something is similar with Hamza. Hamza is a little bit more popular among the American fan base than Shafkat is, and obviously, obviously pulls from parts of Europe, being you know, spending a lot of time in Sweden, and I guess now he's a resident of uh, the UAE. So... Is there potential for like these two guys to marshal both popularity, prestige, and then also these cultural forces that make attention on them so much more dynamic? Sure, but we have to get pretty far for us to get to a level like that. What could the main card be for 300? Leon, Islam, Izzy, and then Hamza, and then John, John Jones ain't going to be ready, so that ain't it. Potentially Izzy, and then Leon versus uh, Bilal maybe? I, I, I just don't see – people have been asking me this, like, oh, what's going to be a good 300 card? Well, given what's available, I, I'm not really sure how good it will be. <laughs> like, it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be really good. Like, it'll be I'm, – please, I'm not – oh, here he is shitting on the UFC again. No, 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 no. It's going to be – it'll be a great card. But, like, everyone's expecting this to be this, like, 
you know, the Beatles and the Stones and everyone else and Led Zeppelin all on the same card. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that. It'll be really good, but I don't think it's going to be that, you know. So it says, I'm a Colby fan, but man, that presser was low. Like to an extent, the character argument works, but after a point, it isn't a character, it's you. Yeah. I mean, at some level, you have to be totally at ease with what you're doing to another person in terms of being cruel to them that way. You have to be kind of okay with that. Um, and there might be reasons to be cruel with folks over the course of your life. Um, you know, whatever Leon's father did, understanding the pain that his death caused his son seems like a basically decent thing to do. Um, but I suppose that's a matter of interpretation, isn't it? Are you by chance planning to transcend MMA commentary and start a general all-purpose? No. No, I'm not doing that. No. I don't have any interest in that. Not right now, anyway. Uh, thank you for the membership. How would O'Malley versus Sanhagen go if they fought? It's a great question because both guys are really good at range, changing looks. Um, I would say that you would probably see... Sanhagen tried to wrestle a lot, to be honest with you. He's gotten much better at it. It's a much bigger part of his game. And he's going to try and throw enough at Sean to slow him down, probably test him with the leg kicks, um, throw enough traffic in punching lanes to make it hard to be countered. And again, just a lot of wrestling. I genuinely, but not like the kind of desperate wrestling that you might have seen Aljamain Sterling resort to in that fight. Again, was that his best effort? Probably not. But in the in the way in which he executed that fight it was not great especially that last one he got hit on uh, I think you would see him be much less willing to try and make sure it stayed on the ground he would kind of just let it go but introduce it uh, as a way to not get hit whether or not that would be enough to stave off the big strikes it's a real open question but that's what I would imagine traffic and punching lanes level changing fainting constant wrestling attempts uh, just kind of trying to throw the book at him a little bit to um yeah, uh, to slow him down. Did I miss one? No. Just heard Jermel Charlo's recording bragging about hitting his wife. Is DV more prevalent among combat sports athletes? So uh, which I, what I would say is the math they used to make their argument at the time wasn't great, but Real Sports with HBO made that argument a long time ago during the War Machine, Christy Max uh, situation, which was about as ugly as it gets. Um, I heard the same tape. There was a question about the tape's authenticity. Uh, I don't know. But either way, if you if you heard it or not, he was arrested and then they don't name the victim in his particular case, but then his wife filed a restraining order and divorced the same day. It is widely believed and uh, it is not reported that it is his wife, but it is believed to be. Dude, it's the lowest of the low. I mean, I don't even know what you could possibly say. He had a bad fight against Canelo and he's ending it on a really terrible term. I don't know what... I don't know what um, I don't know what will happen to him. I probably nothing. Like the boxing industry doesn't really do much in this particular way to police the ranks at a bare minimum. I know Gervonta has had a lot of counseling and had to go to jail for his issues. Although his was related to a particular uh, a hit and run. But yeah, dude, it's about as awful and gross as it gets. Um, he always seemed to be on edge whenever we were around him. I didn't think he was capable necessarily of something what he is alleged to have done. But Jesus, dude, it's the worst. It's like it's just the depravity is hard to wrap your head around. 
the level of the level of entitlement to treat another person that way again assuming that the tape is authentic the level of entitlement you have to have is 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 like perverse I, it's it's like it's truly you again i don't know about the tape's authenticity i don't know but let's assume for a second it's true it's actually hard to put yourself like how can someone do something like that and then and then you know dissect it in a way where you're sort of bragging about um yeah it's just it's god awful it's got it's completely god awful in the worst way and so boxing doesn't have a great history of doing anything about it so i don't know what the hell's gonna happen um i still think he's with pbc i think that's right they didn't return a request to any comment that um espn had i don't know if he's going to end up on amazon i don't know if there's going to be a corporate boycott i mean he's going to have to answer for any of these things at the next time he does any media but it doesn't seem like boxing does a whole lot about any of this stuff um Although he did only get charged, I don't know the law, I guess that's in Texas, he only got charged with a misdemeanor, I don't know how that works, uh, yeah, I don't know how that works, but it's fucking horrendous, yeah, I mean, it's horrendous as shit, it's the worst thing you've, that tape is like the worst thing I've, I don't say ever heard, but it's awful, truly, truly awful, I can't even understand how someone could do something like that, um, but they do, they do, it's, he needs help, man, the person who is alleged to be his victim, first and foremost, needs help, but after that, that dude is in serious need of um, life changing uh, life change. The way <laughs> uh, that was that's about as bad as it could get, you know. Short of you know something like uh, some truly heinous crime. Luke, did you see Israeli soldiers wrote Jake Shields' name on their dumb bombs multiple times? And what are your thoughts currently over Israel? I did not see that. Um, that is uh, not great. To s I, I know that uh, I had seen some reports that um, Haim Ghazali had written some uh, Muslim fighters' names. Uh, I think he had denied that it had anything to do with them being Muslim. You know, I, um, Again, I, I, I'm not really going to go into the details on this because every time I do, people get pissed. But I'll make my position as clear as I possibly can. The United States government um, in my lifetime has never really cared about the Palestinian people. And then especially in their time of need, they and basically most of the rest of the world have failed them. The United States in particular bears a moral responsibility for the massacre of the Gazan people. I could never forgive uh, the current president for what he's done. I don't intend to. Uh, I think what he has done is a moral stain on this country that we will, I don't feel in any way more secure. I don't feel like we're in any way, it's a national security nightmare. It's a moral decency nightmare. It's a nightmare in every way that it possibly could be. He could not have handled it worse. He could not have handled it worse. It's a disaster and um, of, uh, of, of, of proportions unseen in this human century. And we have so deeply failed the Palestinian people that they'll probably never forgive us. And um, I can understand that. I can understand that, yeah. My favorite LT content was the video on Joe B's career, focusing on his role as bridesmaid, never the bride, but always professional and how that applies to life. Thought about that and a lot to the reaction to Colby. Man, I don't even remember doing that. I don't even remember doing that. That's crazy. Yeah, people, you know... Everyone has a right to pursue whatever professional courses that they want. 
Um, but I do think that there's been a bit of a cost-benefit analysis that Colby hasn't quite gotten right. Hey, brother, thank you for standing up the way you have been. Also, would love to have you back on the show, Tarek from Hoshe. Yeah, anytime. Boys, hit me up. Anytime I go on. Anytime. Love those guys out there. I think they're in the UAE as well. I think that's right. Um, they're awesome. Did you check out Unprocessed yet? No, I haven't. I'm behind on emails too. I haven't. No, I'm, I apologize. Dude, you didn't just write me an email for this. You don't have to pay five bucks. I appreciate it, but you don't have to do that. All right. I think injury in BJJ is partly due to the prevailing view that you have to train at least three times a week for it to be worth it. So I'll be honest with you. I don't think you can get very good training two times a week. Just a personal opinion. Um, most people are not going to be good training two times a week. Um, you'll be decent training three times. You'll be, you'll be a lot sharper with four. I think after that, there's an injury level of concern you could have, although everyone's different. But just being honest with you, if you're only going to train two times a week, maybe that's all the time you have. Maybe that's all you really want. In which case, just train the way that makes you happy. Fair enough. But like a lot of people are like, I got to get good as fast as I possibly can. You're not going to get good very fast two days a week. It's not enough time. It's not enough time. What resources do you suggest for someone starting weight training? Great question. One, you can never go wrong with the basics. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding is absolutely excellent. Um, there's a lot of old, uh, uh, not outdated, but old school stuff in there. But there's a lot of, he's updated it over the course of the years. But as a basic primer or primer in starting your weight training journey, hard to go wrong. Okay, let me give you some great YouTube channels. Uh, Untamed Strength with Alan Thrall is a great one. Omar Isaf's channel is a great one. Lane Norton's channel, that's you get into a lot of diet and stuff there too, is a great one. Mike Isratel has a great one. Jeff Nippard has a great one. You, you, There's so much free information that all those guys give out, it'll blow your mind at how good it is. That's true in the case of Lane Norton and Mike Isratel. That's especially true. Um, when it comes to both uh, hypertrophy training, which is you know maximizing muscle growth, not so much strength gains, and uh, and for diet as well. I mean, Renaissance periodization, Juggernaut, uh, uh, Juggernaut uh, Fitness, and and uh, that's a little bit more into pure strength training. Although that you can do a hypertrophy, a hypertrophy block. Uh, there's another gentleman who I follow. You could follow. Um, what's his name? Hold on, I'm going to pull it up for you here. Fucking Ted Leonsis on my feed. Get the fuck off my feed, Ted Leonsis. Ugh. That that dude. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Ted Leonsis these days. I'll find it. Here we go. Hold on. There's this dude I follow. Who has like nothing but great advice all the time. I'll have to find it. Ah, God damn it. I'll, I'll get it later. I'll add it to the... I'll bring it up next week. But that, that'll get you started. Uh, this person writes, Tony is nearly 40, and I feel like we should stop feeling sorry for him at this point. He should fight Dober or Turner next. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. Jalen Turner? Until it cements in his head that he's passed his fighting years. Yeah, I don't think, like, retribution matchmaking is the goal here. It's not an enlightened goal. And it's not a very uh, interesting goal. Um, I don't think they should matchmake in any kind of punitive or like lesson teaching kind of way. I don't think they should matchmake him at all. And it's that sounds, I know to some it sounds blasphemy or... Um, God damn it, not that name. Hold on, God damn it, hold on. 
time. Here we go. Okay. It's a dude from the Kabuki Strength System. I think his name is Chad. The Kabuki Strength I mean, that's a little bit more advanced for advanced lifters. Um, but there's a dude who has... Oh, I'll find his name. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, but getting back to the question about Tony, I, 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 you know, the consequences of all the damage he's incurred, we've only seen a portion of those consequences. We've not seen all the consequences yet. People think that we have, we have seen them all. Many of these will take root over time as he ages and there is natural physical and cognitive decline. It will be magnified as he ages. Um, so when people have this thirst for even more matchmaking, I frankly don't really understand it. I mean, I do, I get what people are saying, Hey, let's send them out on a positive note or some kind of way that makes everyone feel great. I don't think everyone making feel great should be the goal anymore. We've been trying to make everyone feel great for quite some time, and it's only led us to this position. I don't know what is best for Tony. I do not know what his finances are like. I can only make a judgment call from the outside. And looking at the outside in, I don't know how in good conscience a promoter can look at the damage he has incurred at his age and decide that more would be a beneficial thing to participate in. I think it's done. Uh, there's a point at which you can make trade-offs about what kind of health you're going to enjoy later in your life based on what risks are associated with the present kind of activity you're engaged in. I think the tipping point, we are past it personally. That's my judgment call. Um, people are going to have different ones. I just feel very, very, very uncomfortable with the level of damage that he has taken and what it means, not for today, not for tomorrow, but for 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 years from now. The, that bill will come due. This is the funny thing about like having a sport filled with young men who watch it and young men who enjoy it. Because I was that guy too. I've been watching MMA. First time I found it, it was NHB back then or whatever it was. It wasn't anything. It was I was 14 years old. It was 1994. I had missed the first like couple or few UFCs. And then got into it a little bit later, more as time went on, especially in my early to mid-20s. So I was that guy. I was that guy. Here the fuck I am. I'm at 44. I've aged. Uh, almost a full 20 years inside when you when you realize that like you can boil your life down to these 20 year increments when you're 20 years old you think oh my god my life has been like how, how long is 20 years it's the most insanely long time that's ever been because you've only ever lived one 20 year span but when you live two of them you begin to realize that yes 20 years is a long time but you will arrive that bus will arrive at that station and you will have to answer for all the decisions you made during the course of that time, it feels so distant. It feels so remote as to be almost mathematically impossible and to never give it consideration. And then you arrive there and you're like, oh, shit. No, you have to answer for it. I just told you all the bulletproofing I have to do because I have to answer for all of the bad decisions I made related to my own uh, health that I just completely ignored for all that time. If you don't take care of your financial health, dude, it will come to fuck you in the end. It, you will have, You will have to answer for it. And so... It's very, very hard to explain to people who have not really gone through a series of these generational intervals. But when you have, there's no mistaking it, man. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, I'm just not comfortable personally with any more of it. Um, but I guess we'll see what the UFC does. I got to move these along. Luke, I know your wife is Hispanic. Do you, do you yourself know any Spanish? I know a little bit. If so, could you speak some for us or perhaps do a Spanish stream? I am very... Um, I am very nervous about my Spanish because it's definitely not good. You've never, ever heard me say it's good. It's definitely not good. 
Um, I'm just very nervous to use it. I like using it in situations where I have to. <laughs> in fact, I went to, uh, there's this place in Columbia Heights, which is like in the, in sort of a Northwest quadrant of DC. And I went to uh, this place, I think it's, uh, I think it's called uh, Dos Hermanos. It's a Dominican joint. And I walked in and I was like, hey, how you doing? And dude, no one in the place, and this is common in New York City, but it's, le it's a lot less common here. Like no one in Miami too, obviously, but like no one in there spoke a lick of English. I was like, dude, this is fucking great. So I got to practice without people like, uh, you know, judging me for it. You know, I don't mind using it there, but like, I got to tell you, like Danny, I, I, and also I made a promise to Danny Segura. I told him when I was ready to do it, I would do it first on his podcast. I would do a full podcast in Spanish, but you know, we're not there yet. Luke, now that the association with Showtime is close to an end, will Dissected be your IP game? It's been my IP. Oh, Dissected. Oh, um, yes is the answer. Oh, you mean the videos themselves? Yes, but uh, there's a process for that. But the answer is yes. The answer is yes. How would you rank these fighters for likeliness to be champ? Bo Nickel, Kapilov, JDM, Yadong, Khalil, Jalen Turner, Soryuki, and Sanhagen, Ian, Gary. I'd rank all of them pretty close, except I think I still have some questions about Kopilov, although he's he's surging. JDM, we'll see about the Burns fight. Bo Nickel, I have a high degree of confidence in, even though he is very much untested. Song Yudong, I think he's got a lot of stuff to clean up, but he's still very young. Khalil, I think is still, I think, just barely in the top 10, which is great, but pretty far from championship. Jalen Turner, same kind of thing. Saryukian's really close, obviously. Sanhagen, I think, is really close. Gary is still, to me, untested. Uh, enough to be confident about his title chances, but he's obviously very good as well. Great job with the Shopcott thumbnail. What software? That was Canva, baby, Canva. Hope you can find my cue in the original post for this vid. If not, sending love from the UK. Best analyst of vocabulary in the MMA. I try, I try. Thank you, dude. Prime Leon versus Prime GSP. Who wins? Prime GSP. People have no idea how good he was. Prime GSP. Also, is Tony and Matt Brown the fight to make? No. I just don't see anyone else with a name that he could possibly beat. And then the answer is what you know the answer is. Uh, on the voting, fight you're most excited about. There were 1,200 votes. Jones Stipe, 14%. McGregor Chandler, 19%. Volk Tapuria, 46%. Something else, 22%. Interesting. Thank you for taking the votes there. I appreciate it. Uh, Taiwan Chai versus Superbond. Will you watch it? I will definitely watch it, but probably not live. Tie card, first impressions. I don't know. Oh, I've not seen the I've not seen the full list. Men who strip to their underwear and fight on TV for our enjoyment should be allowed to say whatever distasteful thing they want in fight promotion. That is certainly a per, that is certainly a perspective, but I don't think it's a particularly enlightened one, and I don't think it's a particularly good one for um, both your own sensibilities and like what kinds of rot you wish to allow to take place underneath your own supervision, but then also what kind of sport you want to have. I don't, if you're not making any economic trade-offs to get there and you are making potential economic trade-offs to do that, I don't see that as a particularly compelling argument. I think it's time to psychologically evaluate Dana White, this person writes. He gets more ruthless and evil every year. I don't think so. His blood boils when reporters ask him tough questions. He's always done that. And he smiles when people hit the deck in power slap. Well, I... I got to tell you, I mean, except for the fact that he's on a podcast circuit where he doesn't have to answer truly any tough questions, whereas he used to do like these scrums and he would have to a little bit. Aside from that, I don't think there's much of a difference. Lil Lou became a, a member. Thank you. 
All right, why don't fighters or ex-fighters create a code of conduct limiting what can be said to promote a fight? Rule one, don't mention family. See, I don't think it goes that way. I think what you should say is, and from regulation from what I've seen is that they don't say you can't, you can't say X word, you can't say Y word, you can't say Z word. What they say is that ultimately the company has discretion over how they want to handle employee conduct as it relates to forms of speech, blah, 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 blah. So they give themselves latitude about how they want to react to it in the event that it happens. It's less about creating like a list of words you can't actually say. So it becomes a judgment call about what the brand is. And like, again, as a company, what is your company brand? This is If that is representative of your company, that's a decision you can make along whatever lines you want to make them. Um, but again, I think long term, there are going to be some trade-offs to that product that you're probably not going to be happy with. And then more to the point, you have to ask yourself what it requires of you to look the other way and think that all of this has either no impact on you or ultimately is benign or otherwise totally above board, frankly, even normal behavior. Like normal people don't do that. Granted, they're cage fighters, so maybe the argument is they're not normal people. That's fine. But I actually don't think it's difficult to get that kind of behavior out of them. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we got that already. Here we go. Still waiting on the ZC Rex. Yes, I have. I have. You didn't have to send this to me. I have. Uh, I said at the top of the show, I'm still behind on the emails. I have your email checked. I'm going to get to it by today. Rotate first picks for OK Bet next year. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, Ian, thank you for the membership. Uh, I don't think Hamzat is destined for a long reign at middleweight if one of the, given his Usman fight, the middleweights are big boys and Bo Nichols coming. Yeah, he's, dude, that's a, I don't think that's the best division for him. He might still win a championship gold in there, but is it the best division for him? It still seems like welterweight would be, but if I guess if he can't make weight, then that's that. It's time. What was BC's Pat Tillman joke? I don't even really remember. It was something along the lines of, it's like some guy went to prison unfairly, right? It was, it was this documentary about the kid who went to prison unfairly. And he eventually gets out and he gets exonerated. BC had made some joke about him making it like something about like what Pat Tillman had done. And and Showtime Legal had flagged it. And they were like, what the fuck? Uh, Luke, why do so many people attribute their masculinity to meat consumption? This person writes, so it doesn't affect testosterone levels. And the enduring myth is frustrating considering our treatment of animals. Um, I'm not exactly sure to what extent any of those things do or don't affect testosterone levels. Although I think you're right. Uh, but, you know, Nate Diaz is a vegan, so just sort of consider that. But um, there's something primal about hunting, I think, and that folks enjoy it. Also, meat is delicious. And, again, there's this sort of thing that, like, you know, oh, people are upset that you're eating animals. Well, I don't give a fuck. Aren't I operating from a position of strength? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, if you can look the other way on factory farming and the absolute moral horror and torture you're engaging on um, sentient thinking intelligent animals animals in many cases smarter than dogs like how am i supposed to view somebody who doesn't think that that's morally relevant is enlightened the word i don't think enlightens the word you know is getting around the ufc matching period as simple as using the bellator brand to allow them to have sponsorships no because if it was it already would have been there and it didn't work clearly it didn't work if we do a title fight on 300, Connor won't fight. Why not do Diaz versus McGregor 3 and Tate versus Rousey 3? Yeah, you could do that. You could play some hits. Absolutely. Sure. And I think it would sell. Connor won in, by the way. 
Little Lou says, Merry Christmas to your family. Thank you. I'm going to be turning 27 soon. And man, getting close to 30 feels so unreal to me. Any general life advice to look out for in my 30s? Shout out to my dogs, Sultan and Lucas. 30 is uh, no big deal. You're making a bigger deal out of it than it actually is. Your 30s will be better than your 20s. You'll make more money. You'll understand more about yourself. And you'll probably have a better time. Take that to the bank. Devin says, Delta-infused question. Is there anything other than weight that could possibly separate fighter divisions like mass? It's the simplest one. Weight is the simplest one. Tony versus BJ. No, 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 not doing it. Nope, not doing it. Why does it feel like MMA fans are becoming as shit as boxing fans? Boxing fans are shit in a different way. A few losses and suddenly a fighter was never that good. Oh, yeah, that's but that's always, that's not new. That's not new. That's That has been happening since time. Boxing fans are salty as shit, man. They're hard, that's a hard-to-please crowd. Wow, that's a hard-to-please crowd. Um, so MMA fans, I think you can please them a little bit more simply. And I actually say that as a positive about them, to be honest with you. Uh, but at the same time, they're equally prone to revisionist history and nonsense and shit like that. Yeah. Lorisenko is out here learning Kazakh. You need to up your simp game for Shavka, Luke. Yeah, I guess I do. Right. Uh, okay. You saw Shavka's talent early for me. Carlson Harris win has aged really nice. Yeah. Agree. Uh, dude, he was hard not to spot. He was hard not to spot. You, you you have to look the other way to not notice what he was doing. Uh, Alexander writes, what's up? Merry Christmas. Okay. Was wondering, where'd you ultimately get the title of technical difficulties? Uh, I suggested in the comments around the time. Somebody had done it. I cannot remember where I got it. It is not my idea. 100% not my idea. Somebody else had named it. I think it, may, it could have been you. It could have been someone on Twitter. I, I legitimately do not remember. Um, but if I got it from you, thank you. It's been a very useful. If John Jones convincingly beat Stipe and Aspinall, would he be the goat of goats? Um, I would say that the case becomes so strong at that point, he would just kind of move into it. Like, you could still debate it about whether or not those particular wins by themselves mean enough, but the grandiosity of the wins, including about how legitimate they would be, you know, to just, to like, there's a new generation of heavyweights, and then you go and beat the best guy among that new generation you know, without really having competed for very long in that division is just, an, it would be an extraordinary achievement. Probably would put him above everyone else. Yeah. How about yoga plus weights for a combo and bulletproofing? Yeah, sure. I, I don't hate on yoga. It's not for me, but I know a lot of people who get a lot out of it. Absolutely. With the exception of Jones, which current UFC champion will have a good and happy retirement? Which current UFC champion? Volkanovsky. I think Volkanovsky will have a happy retirement. He's a very smart guy. Um, probably Islam, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe Leon too. Uh, after that, it's a little harder to say, but right. Cause Sean Strickland, I just, you hope, you know, I don't know if I'd put him at the top of my, um, list, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, who speaks Spanish better, you or your daughter? I'd say it's pretty equal. It's pretty equal. But the fact that she's four kind of tells you all you need to know. <laughs> She can speak Spanish, no problem. I told, I told you guys this. We went to we went to Cartagena um, for vacation, and we stayed at this place, this Airbnb that was in like this building with all these other Airbnbs, and they had like these pools and everything. It was amazing. And I was like, man, I don't know how she's going to get along with all these other kids. Like they only speak Spanish, and uh, but you know she goes to a Spanish speaking school and everything, so you know it's it's um, it's no big deal. Like I, I mean, I I in, I thought she'd be fine by the time she was a teenager or something. And then we were at these pools, and then she would like bust out the Spanish, and she was 100% fluent. 
like no breaks, no pauses, didn't nothing. Full sentences, call and response. I mean, the works, everything, laughing. Uh, you know, if you can get jokes in another language, you can speak it pretty well. Um, she was completely 100% fluent. We actually got compliments from like other Colombian families about how good it was that she was basically you know, living here and she could speak it that well. So, um, but you know, they're grading her as a four year old. They're not going to grade me as a four year old. So there you go. All right, last one that we got to go. Haley Bieber or not my type, folks. Not my type. I like, I like a big, I like big old fat asses. And that's just not my type. There you go. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, stay tuned for content over the course of the week. Hey, thanks for all the live chats this week. I got to thank, or not this week, I'm sorry, this year. What am I saying? I have to thank you guys. I really appreciate it. So if I owe you an email, you will get a response. We'll change out the thumbnail. Podcast will go up. Look out for content next week. If I don't talk to you until next year, live that is, um, please don't drink and drive. Use Uber or just walk or do something else, but don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. Don't do any of those things. Be safe over the holidays. Be, make smart decisions. Smart decisions lead to better outcomes. Better outcomes lead to better lives. Let's make all the right calls that we possibly can, yeah? And if not, uh, for next week, I'll see you guys in the new year. I appreciate you more than I could possibly tell you. It's going to be a good one next year. I can feel it. So between uh, us and uh, for everyone else on the staff, Othello, blah, 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 thank you guys so much. And until next time, stay frosty. Love you. Peace.